Hello, I am Emily Bryce Perkins, Culture Director of Portas Agency. Mary is still on holiday and, you know, that's fine. I'm totally fine with it. I'm just sitting in London in the office working really hard. Whatever. Only joking. Let's see if she's around. Out, sit down and have a lovely cup of coffee and look across the wonderful valley. And I've got you. I'm not going to take up too much of your time, I promise. So we thought we'd uh, we'd do a bit of a special one, record. So it's kind of using the recording of your audiobook, so you won't have to talk that much. But to make up for me disturbing your holiday again, um, I thought I'd read out some uh, some messages that we've had from people. Would that be oh, nice? Oh, good. I yeah? like that. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, obviously, people saying that they uh, they're, they're basically inspired and changing their lives. So I thought I would. Uh, share some of them so Trishy Dixon uh, said basically just don't be a mean-spirited fuckwit at work absolutely love your chat fabulous advice thank you Trishy Dixon um, Marie Butcher is saying thank you so much for getting this message out there Mary you have a truly inspirational voice to all of us who are yet to realize that there was a tribe of like-minded business people out there that we can connect with how great it is does, that it does feed your soul I mean the, the thing is Part of me feels, oh, I want to do more. You know, I, you know, I'm like, once you get onto something, you want to do more. And how do we affect policy change? And how do we keep pushing this? Uh, and the, I think the way to keep doing this, though, is that we need to just grow these tribes of women. That the old businesses that are behaving, you know, in well, like the dinosaurs that they are, and mm. not giving voice to people, and not making people feel good at work, will just slowly diminish. They'll become the minority. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be in our podcast time or in my lifetime ever, but you know what? I think we're just awake to a better way of doing things. We're woke. We're business we're woke. We're super woke. I think I have to I just give you one more because I really, yeah. this one really connected with me. Um, Mattia1381 <laughs> said, thank you so much, Mary. I feel honored to be a woman after hearing you speak. Like that is that's brilliant. That's where they're really connecting with themselves and they're really proud of, you know, being a female. And I think whenever people come together, listening to your podcast or especially when you do your live tours, you just get that feeling when all with all the women are in, in one room and you just, you can't even explain it. The energy mm. of people coming together, it's so magical. I often talk about the, the most influences in business or in politics. Those are the two biggest areas where, where it affects how we, we live and work. And I not in politics I'm not sure I ever want to be but business we can make change and if we can do that and if that's just touching a few people and they start to spread the word yeah then we start to really have traction and, and it becomes people saying I want to make this change happen it's not a moan it's a I'm going to go into work and I'm going to do this and that's the most important thing about this is that even if it's a few people the traction, the ripples start to happen and that's how change goes forward. Exactly. Me. And it's it's channeling your message and I think that's the thing we're realising and one some of my most favourite um, emails that I've read from people that have come through, they channel the Mary Portas way, you know, and it's not everyone can be, um, you know, as, as brilliant as you are, but there's this brilliant thing we can see happening where people take elements of what you're saying and they apply them to their own life and that's where you, you really feel that change happening where they kind of, yeah, well, our, actually, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote. Our creative director, Zara, was at um, an event this week and um, all of the women in the room were asked to like name a hero or someone they were really inspired by and the girl next to her said Mary Portas oh, that's <laughs> how so sweet cute. is that and the Zara was like I, oh, never out of her <laughs> but 
I, I do fall off. I do fall off the, the path sometimes. I think you know I'm not any saintly at all. I try, but I, you know, you saw me this week getting very upset about something in the yeah. office, and I was really venting about it and getting very emotional. And yeah. I wouldn't stop, and I kind of went on most of the day because it was so important to me. But even that, and I felt, oh, I should have been calmer. But then I thought about this, and the the most important thing is I I, I should be allowed to vent as you should be allowed yeah. to vent, and. But it's as long as it's not threatening to anyone and that everybody else is able to come back and have a voice or challenge me, which you all did, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> which you all did. We learn from the best, Mary. <laughs> no, but I, I, I felt, you know, I was yeah. upset over that. But it was something very dear to me that had I gone know. wrong in the yeah, business, yeah. you know? Yeah, everyone has those moments. We all have those yeah. days if you really care about something. There's a little blackbird with a worm in my garden. It's so cute. <laughs> bobbing along, bobbing along. Oh, Emily, yeah. we need to get our, because I'm thinking it's the summer and we need to, for season two, we need to nail down some people for our next podcast. So I've had feedback already. Gina Miller said yes. Kath Viner, the editor of The Guardian, said let's have a coffee Amazing. and discuss it. This sounds exciting. Oh, so, fab. Who else was on our well, list? Well, of remember. course, Jacinda Arden. Yeah. I'm really going to go after her. We need to do that. I know, we, we do. To, you never know. Someone, she might just say yes. Fingers and crossed. I'm over in Australia in October anyway, so I can nip over to Just nip over. Yeah. I'm not good with geography, and but it all looks quite close. I can't remember the list, but if you can ping it back to me, and let's try and get these, yeah, these I will. women tied down. I and will. Men. And, some, and men. some men. We need some good men. So as we said earlier, we're having a you know, sort of a special um, podcast this week where we'll be listening to you and your audio book. Can you just give us a little intro to yourself? Well, this is Mary Porter. <laughs> this is me, me talking through, first of all, why I wrote this book and that the talking about the barriers that face women, that face us from being undervalued to workplaces that don't really accommodate our roles as well our roles in life that's more than what we do in work and I talk about the glass ceiling which I'm sure isn't made of glass it's often made of concrete and after 50 years you know after we have entered the workforce in large numbers we are now starting to feel less grateful and we're starting to analyze why 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 is it that so few women are in positions of power it's important because if we're not in positions of decision-making power we will not be able to influence how we live. We will not be able to influence our children's future. And I'm going to leave you with a vision because this is the world that we live in. The vision of those men who all wanted to be prime minister. Five was a week ago, all sitting there, putting each other down. That's really important. And just upping themselves. There wasn't collaboration. They weren't really thinking about us, the people, the community. This week, there's two who will be going head to head, and at the heart of it will be aggression. But you know what? We need to start getting angry. Us women need to start getting angry, but angry for the right thing. Angry for us, for our future, our children's future, to create a better world in which we have more power. I'm sitting in the Arco Cafe in Knightsbridge, and I don't know which is more overpowering, the smell of fat or the reek of fag smoke. It's 1981, I'm 21, and I work as a window dresser at Harrods. I can't believe Elaine didn't get the job, Fiona says. We've got to do something. Fiona, who works with me on the back windows, is outraged. Our colleagues, Elaine and Roger, both went for a promotion and he got it. 
They're equally talented, but we thought Elaine would get the job because she's been at Harrods far longer than Roger, and that's usually how things work. We've got to go on strike or something, Fiona hisses. Demonstrate. Contact our union. I stare at her. The only women I know who demonstrate are the ones at Green and Common, Women's Peace Camp, and they chain themselves to fences in protest against nuclear arms. Doesn't look very comfortable. Don't you see, Mary, Fiona says with a withering look. If we don't do something, then none of us stand a chance. The men will always get the jobs. I don't really think too much about this kind of stuff. Isn't that just how things are? The only woman I've known who was in charge of something was my head teacher, and that's because it was a convent school run by nuns. We all knew who ruled the roost at home when I was growing up. My mother, Teresa. She looked after me, my sister, brothers and dad. No car, part-time evening work as a cleaner, cooking, washing and cleaning for six. And still, Dad's dinner was on the table the moment he got through the door. She was never not working. But Dad was the one who came home from work, clutching the staff newspaper with his photo on the front page. Dad was the person who put the money on the collection plate when we went to St Helens every Sunday. In the eyes of the outside world, he was the one in charge. But as I sit in the cafe with Fiona, I think of my brothers, Michael, Joe and Lawrence, and I realise how unfair it would be if my sister Tish or I missed out on a job in favour of one of them, just because they're men. And then I think about Elaine. It's true what Fiona is saying. There are a lot of men in charge at Harrods. In fact, it's all men who run the display department where we work. Berge is head of front windows. Keith looks after the side, while Peter heads home and interior display. Then there's David, head of ground floor display. Andrew on the first floor. Alan on the second. Antonio on the third. And Paul on the fourth. Lou is the deputy display manager. His name isn't short for Louise. And above us all is the big boss. John. Oh, to be fair, there is a woman in the management offices, a secretary called Jane. Fiona is right, floor after floor of men are managing women who rarely get the chance to manage them back. Elaine has been sidelined just because she's a woman. And that is so not on. But what are we going to do? I say. And within days, a few of us are stamping up and down the pavement outside Harrod's windows. But we aren't exactly a force to be reckoned with. Most of our women colleagues don't want to stick their head above the parapet, however much they agree with us. We try to mobilise the union, but soon realise that our protestations are falling on deaf ears. Not long after, we melt into the background again. Soon Fiona will leave Harrods, and in time I will also resign to start a freelance career in window display. Because, although I'm not sure where I want to go, I know one thing after my first glimpse of sex discrimination in the workplace. I want to create opportunities that back then, as a woman, Harrods will never give me. If you're age 40 or above, this story might seem familiar. The world of work was a very different place, even as recently as 20 years ago, and men were largely in charge. But if you're younger, maybe you're wondering what this has got to do with you. There's lots of women managers in your office, after all. Humour me. Listen up. Be we baby boomers, Generation Xs or Millennials, I'm afraid we're all in this together because the world of work we work in is often working against us. Take retail, my area of expertise. 60% of its employers are women and women also make or influence 85% of all purchasing decisions. 
That means we're usually responsible for buying everything from our old man's pants to big ticket items like holidays. Retail is a world that women drive both financially and practically. And yet, we've only got 10% of the positions on retail executive boards. That's kind of perverse, isn't it? A business made up of women, sustained by women, but hardly any of us make it to the top. It's the same in many industries. We know about the male domination of politics, banking and engineering, but they're also at the top of industries that, like retail, are very female-dominated. Teaching, say, or medicine. Even in hairdressing. And if that isn't a female-driven industry, then I don't know what is. All those famous names are male. From Vidal Sassoon, Trevor Sorby, Tony and Guy, to John Frieda, Nicky Clark, Sam McKnight. But can you name a single female famous hairstylist? Thought not. The reality is that most industries have more women at the bottom and more men at the top. So why is this? Do women lack stamina or ambition? Or are we just too difficult to work with? Or are we just really average at our jobs? Some people say we lack ambition and that women don't reach for the top because we get so far and then life, family and work clash too often for many of us to devote the attention to a career that success demands. But you know the kind of people who say that. It's usually the ones with someone at home doing everything from childcare to picking up the dry cleaning so there's nothing else for them to worry about except working 80 hours a week. And then there are those who believe the way women work means we're not equipped to rise to the top. We might be too passive, unambitious or focused on children. You know the kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, enough of the excuses. There is a reason why women don't get to the top in the same numbers as men, and it has zero to do with our shortcomings. Systemic barriers are what stops us. Systemic barriers at work affect the whole culture and everyone working within it particularly women. Why? Because they're part of a working code that was created by men for men. Even more specifically, a code created by men who were powerful in terms of their class and ethnicity, as well as their gender. White, wealthy, alpha males to be exact. They're the people who have pretty much had a monopoly on getting to the top for a very long time. And the way we work today is still rooted in the alpha culture they created long ago. If you want to succeed, you need to fit the mould. So alpha men do well, and so do some alpha women, myself included. For a start, I'm white, and although I came from a working-class background, I had enough talent and drive and a few lucky breaks to get to the top. But I'm more of an exception than the rule, and until we adapt our working culture, shifting its focus and values to reflect a more modern world and diverse society, we will still often funnel only one particular type of person to the top. And sadly, it ain't usually a woman. The effect of these systemic barriers is that although women certainly start off strong in the workplace, Let's not forget that we've already outperformed boys at school and are 35% more likely than them to go to university. We end up lagging behind in our careers. We earn less, 81p for every pound that a man makes. We're also promoted less in our paid work and do far more of the junior level jobs than the senior ones, making up nearly three quarters of the entry workforce and holding just 32% of director level posts. Not exactly uplifting to hear, is it? 
But the world of work is like this because most businesses still have an alpha working culture. And it's a culture that respects and over-rewards so-called masculine qualities like risk-taking, competition and single-minded myopic focus. Meanwhile, more feminine traits like collaboration, resilience, empathy and compassion are consistently devalued. Alpha culture views most emotions with suspicion. Logic is king. Instinct was that. It's also heavily invested in dominance and the drive to win, which often creates an office environment where people are pitting their skills against each other to compete for money or seniority. Linear advancement up the ladder is prioritised over collaboration. Single-minded focus is encouraged to the detriment of any life outside work, including family. Extreme risk-taking to prove strength and the inability to show weakness by admitting mistakes become the norm. And we can all see the effect that this is having. Look at the world around us. And yet nothing is really changing. Of course, lots of us men and women are ambitious, risk-takers and competitive. And not everyone and every business works like this. But to some degree, these dynamics are at play in every sphere of work. And they are driven by our alpha working culture. It means work often ends up resembling a battleground as we compete against each other, build strategic alliances and carefully keep track of the balance of power. Put all this together, the structure of the way we work and the qualities that are rewarded, and most women, at best, are held back. At worst, we are excluded from the top. But as important as the issue of women leaders is, this isn't just about those who want to aim high and are stopped in their tracks by a way of working that doesn't work for them. It affects us all because the jobs we typically do are not as financially valued as those often done by men. Take a look at the 30 lowest paid jobs in the US. Women are far more likely to do 23 of them, including food server, housekeeper and childcare worker. Meanwhile, men are far more likely to do 26 of the 30 highest paying jobs, including chief executive, architect and computer engineer. Now, architects and computer engineers are important, but why are men mostly doing these jobs? And why aren't vocational caring jobs considered important too and paid better? Even when we try to do better paid jobs traditionally done by men, we're stymied. US researchers who looked at 50 years of census data from 1950 to 2000 found that wages fell by 57% when women took over jobs in summer camps and parks that had previously been done by men. And when they became biologists, the wages dropped by 18%. What happened, though, when men took over jobs that traditionally women had done? <laughs> You've got it. The pay went up. In the 1940s, computer programming was considered women's work. You know, a nice bit of typing code that was an exciting alternative to being a secretary. Tell that to Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, one of the pioneers of programming. Anyway, there we were, and we left them for a few decades, quietly getting on with the job. In the 1980s, tech became the money-making future, and men moved into the industry, and programming suddenly got way more complex, supposedly. The nerd was born. Recruitment started to favour men, and pay increased. Today, women hold just one in four jobs, in this industry. Even in occupations dominated by women, men earn more. 
The education workforce is two-thirds female, but in the UK, male teachers earn on average £2 more per hour than women. How on earth is all this still happening? And if what you've heard so far doesn't make you thump the table with rage, I suggest you stop listening and check yourself for a pulse. So, how did we end up here? Well, it's simple, really. Men were in charge of the formal workplace and the way it works for a very long time. Women didn't enter formal employment en masse until about 50 years ago, and today we're almost half of the workforce. More than 70% of UK women aged between 16 to 64 work. And it's a trend seen everywhere from Japan and Germany to the US. But we're stuck in this catch-22 We can't get to the top because of the codes created by men and we can't change things if we don't get to the top. Some people think quotas are an answer to this, that things would improve if women were given half of all corporate board seats tomorrow. But I don't think anything will really change until we question the culture of the way we work. Alpha culture's masterstroke has been to make it seem so normal that even as the demographics of the workplace have changed so radically... We haven't questioned it. Isn't this just how things are? No. It's about our values, the things we attach importance to and our behaviours. And this is expressed in even the most seemingly insignificant of ways. So, fashion, my industry, is a brilliant case in point. The BBC is a national publicly funded broadcaster, which represents a nation pretty evenly split between men and women. But amid all the airtime and correspondence it devotes to football and the Premier League in particular, there is no one dedicated to talking about fashion. Football certainly has a huge social significance, but even though the fashion industry was worth almost 10 times what the Premier League was to the UK economy in 2014, it obviously isn't considered important by those divvying up the budgets at the BBC. Go figure. It's the same in business. Certain focuses, behaviours and characteristics tell us a lot about the values held by organisations. They tell us that we're still working along traditional masculine alpha lines. I should know. I did it myself for years, until I couldn't do it anymore. So here it is. The advice my present self would have given my younger self at different stages of my career plus some tips for women who are my age and older. They all come with one important health warning. I've grouped them into the loose career stages you might be at during different decades of your life, but if you're not a mother by the time you hit your 30s or a leader in your 40s, don't panic. We all develop at different speeds. For 20-somethings. Keep your sense of humour. Work is serious, but you're going to have to laugh off a whole lot of ridiculous stuff. Don't ask your mum to ring up and ask for a place on an internship scheme. Do it yourself. You're a grown-up. And behave like one, if you're still living at home by paying your way and doing your own washing. You have choices. Think carefully about the kind of place where you want to work. Ask questions of your employer. Research the company you might work for. What are their staff retention rates? Happy people don't leave jobs in droves. What's their parental leave policy? How many women do they have in senior management? The working world might make you feel like a tiny cog, but if you're good at what you do, you're an asset. Businesses need you every bit as much as you need them. Never feel inferior. 
but never act entitled. No one is doing you a favour by employing you, and you're not owed anything either. Whatever you do, whether it's waiting tables or becoming a trainee barrister, take pride in it and do it to the best of your ability. Challenge yourself. Make small, vital decisions every day about how you work and interact with people. Be polite, be kind and keep the moaning to a minimum. It drains your energy and that of those around you. Work is a question of hard graft, talent and luck. The first you can control, the second two you can't. Make the most of whichever pieces of this puzzle you get. Support other women. Your colleagues are your greatest strength, not your enemies. Whether you have a job or a career, this is a long road. Be patient. Education isn't everything. The decisions you make in your 20s can have the biggest effect on the rest of your life, both professionally and personally. Be thoughtful. Don't worry if you don't know where you're going. You will. And if you don't have a sense of direction by about mm, 28, it's probably time to find one. Establishing relationships is key. Turning up to the opening of an envelope to network or going to the pub with colleagues week in, week out to keep on top of gossip isn't. Also, resist the temptation to make too many baggage friends who are just there for good times. We don't all have careers. Some of us have jobs that support the rest of our life, and that's fine. Don't move in with a man who thinks equality means splitting the bill for dinner and leaving you to do all the running of a home. Have faith in what you do. A responsible attitude, the willingness to take a risk, curiosity and dependability will always shine through. Don't overspend on your credit card. Debt ties us down and keeps us in jobs we don't want to do just to pay off the bills. You don't need an app or a life coach to give you the confidence to speak. It's there within you. The world today can suck a lot of power from you. Find yours. Keep organised. You can waste a whole lot of precious work and lifetime if you're not. Be courteous, but courageous. Speak up, speak out. Be bold in your ideas. For 30-somethings. Be self-aware. Very self-aware. Take time to understand your true values and try your very best to follow them. Don't confuse overworking with promotion potential. Progress, not activity, is what counts. Few bosses will penalise someone who produces but isn't tied to their desk. Motherhood does not give you a pass to be afraid. I once offered a job to a pregnant woman and discussed how we'd work with her to combine a new job with motherhood. But she decided to stay in a job she wasn't happy in rather than take a risk. Be original. If you're moving up the ladder, your boss has seen something in you. Don't become a one-size-fits-all executive because you think that's the way you must be. There are far too many of them out there already. Don't be afraid of your ambition. You're entitled to it. When I offer women a promotion, they often wonder if they're up to the job. Men ask what the pay rise is. Go figure. If you have children and can afford to stop working, think carefully about becoming a stay-at-home mum. Earning your own living gives you independence. If you work and have children, build a network of support via friends, neighbours and other parents. No one can be an island. If you're the mother of small children on the days your eyeballs feel about to bleed, remember 
that this too shall pass. If you're childless, don't think work is where all your focus should be. Make sure your life outside work is rich. It will make you so much more interesting to employ and happier personally. The emperor often really does have no clothes. Those who get promoted aren't always the best talent. They're just good at putting a wrapping on it. Claim your successes. Choose your partner well. If you aspire to reach the top, you will need support, practical help and kindness from whoever you share your life with. Always trust your intuition, whatever anyone else is telling you. It's understandable to feel you have to fit in at the beginning of your career. Now's the time to start realising that you don't always have to. Create your own microculture. Even if you're in charge of just one person, you have the chance to manage them in a way that reflects your values. Don't feel grateful for making work work for you. Whether it's flexible hours or working part-time, no one is doing you a favour. You don't need to keep thanking them. Always be a team player, but never be the one who always says yes. There is a line between helpful and passive. For 40-somethings. By now, you may be coming more senior with more responsibilities and everyone gets imposter syndrome now and again. The key is to recognise whether you have genuine doubts or if you're self-sabotaging. If you have children and have gone part-time, remember that you're not being paid for a full-time job. Work your hours and resist the temptation to keep up with people who are in the office more than you. We are all afraid of failure, but men don't let it hold them back as much. We need to learn this lesson too. Break some rules. If you haven't got 100% of the qualifications needed for the promotion, then still apply. Don't get mentors, get sponsors. Talking is easy, but you will need people who actually champion you. Whoever they are, they are vital to moving upwards. Most people feel flattered to be asked to get involved. Put on your own oxygen mask first. Being a senior or a leader takes a lot of energy. Look after yourself by taking time to relax, exercise and sleep. Take your responsibility to the women lower down the pipeline seriously. What you do and what you enable others to do will send vital messages to all those in your organisation. You will always be learning, however high you climb. If you need help, ask for it from those you trust. Recruit people, not CVs. Get creative about hiring. If you believe in diversity, enact it. You may now be in a position to look at the way your organisation works and challenge it. Ideas translated into action can shift the status quo. Separation, divorce and parenting teenagers could all be realities for you by now. If you thought you'd be a CEO but have fallen short, you are not failing. You are living a real life. Value difference, not just in gender, race or class, but in personality too. It takes all kinds of attributes to make a team. Choose the people you work with carefully, be they clients or colleagues. If they share your values, then life will be a whole lot easier. Believe in what you're doing. Communicating confidence in anything from an unusual business strategy to a new way of working will inspire it in others, clients as well as employees. 
and be honest about who you are. This will give those you lead the most powerful permission there is to be themselves too. Emotions are not the enemy. In a world of robotic senior leaders, use your passion and energy to inspire others. Keep working on that sense of humour. You'll need it now more than ever. For 50 plus somethings. To infinity and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear would say. The reason there's no age limit in this category is that I genuinely do not see my working life as a door that will close at retirement age. I see it as a part of my life which will continue for as long as I want it to. That said, if you've earned enough to be financially secure, make sure not to cling too hard to the big salary and forget the rest of life. It's finite. Enjoy it. You might by now be a senior leader, so forge relationships with other women who are too, within your organisation or without. Rising up can be lonely. You are never too senior to admit when you're wrong. Say sorry. Admit that you messed up. Fix it and move on. Keep an open and curious mind. No one wants someone sitting in the corner of the office saying they've seen and know it all. On the other hand, though, know that there is wisdom in experience and use it gently. Keep positive. The world at large might make you feel invisible, but you're not. Learn from your younger colleagues. Listen carefully to their life view, their aspirations and priorities. They will challenge and inspire you. Keep yourself fit and active. It's crucial to me to keep my energy levels up so I walk, do Pilates and yoga. Give really focused time to the bits of your work that makes your soul sing. You've been working for a few decades now, so it's time to do what makes you happy. You need to open up to let the new in so declutter, whether that's friends or ideas that you've held on to for a long time but are now weighing you down. Let go of some responsibility. You don't have to do it all. Don't be ruled by a structured timetable. At this age, life can get really full, but don't be hemmed in by excessive routine. Don't be fooled that no one can do what you do. Trust others. Delegate. If you haven't reached the top and are dying to retire, remember that work isn't always paid. Unpaid work can be vital, rewarding and stimulating. You may retire from a job, but you don't need to leave work. And don't forget, it's never too late to start a whole new exciting chapter of your working life. And there it is. A Working Life by Mary Portas. Live by it, edit it or chuck it. It's yours to do with as you want. Now, go fly. <laughs>